Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me in the great state of Wisconsin is William Ennis. Hello. And up in New Jersey, we have Mike Lentine. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. <laughs> um, before we get into the show, there's a couple things I wanted to sort of announce. Um, one was I was actually on another podcast that Ooh. is um, that is kind of a big one, I think. Uh, I was on Forecast, that's F-O-U-R, Cast, number 113. I'll link that in the show notes in case everyone, anybody wants to check it. It's basically, there's two hosts and they invite two guests to predict the future, and I made a prediction about the future of English. You, some, some people in here might listen and say, oh, you're totally wrong, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't make predictions, or I try not to. <laughs> well, it's just for fun, anyway. Um, and then I want to specifically mention this because this is coming up, I think, the week after this episode posts. Let me find the thing. Yes, on April 8th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, CNN is going to run a special on Dothraki. There will probably be um, reruns of it, but um, I talked to uh, I I um, heard from David Peterson, who they interviewed for it, that they won't put it online. They'll just put clips online. So you might want to try to catch it at the time it's broadcast. That's mm. so old-fashioned. Who even has a TV anymore? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, some. That's right. true. Well, a lot of people still get cable, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's cable in this house. But anyway, I just thought I would mention that because David is our good friend, or mm-hmm. he's a friend of the show. And, we should uh, always see Conlangers thrive. Yes. And we'll and uh, we, definitely, we definitely want to learn more about Dothraki, although it's probably going to be very general audience. If you... If you watch the preview, it's um, the girl who plays Daenerys just kind of talking sort of airy nothings about Dothraki. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's uh, good. But, so, with that out of the way, since we're um, a good three or so minutes in the show, why don't we actually go right into our featured, our, our no, not featured conline, that's later, our discussion topic for today. No. Which is negation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you threw me off because you said no. <laughs> right. I was I was so eager for our topic. <laughs> yes. So negation. What is negation? Um well, it's basically saying something is not true or or constructing a sense to, to say that something is not true. But uh William, why don't you start us off? You have the first big chunk of notes here, so. Yeah. Um, as always, we start off on a topic with me thinking, oh, it will be a nice short one. No. <laughs> so the, the thing where I typically have the most problems with negation has to do with scope. Uh-huh. If I say the sentence, I didn't sleep with the senator, I could be asking two different questions. Either, did you sleep with the senator, or 
who did you sleep with? Mm-hmm. Now, it's a bit... That's true. Uh, it's a bit obtuse of me to say I did not sleep with the senator as an answer of who did you sleep with? Um, but this lets me... This, this is just my favorite example to pick on senators. For whom I have nothing but the highest respect. Um, what does the negation go with? And linguists talk about scope. What part of the sentence falls under that not? And in English, it can be a little ambiguous. I didn't cut the bread with a hacksaw. I didn't cut the bread. <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah. I, didn't cut, I cut the bread not with a hacksaw, but a butter knife. So the point is, where does that not go? And in English, because of how our sentences are constructed, we tend to have one negative in the sentence. And you have to figure out from other clues um, where exactly the scope is. Yeah. Um, because Although, I can't say um, – go ahead. Yeah. Well, and what you're talking about is mainly a syntactic ambiguity. You should be able to figure it out pragmatically what, what somebody means by the overall context, right? Yeah. You should, but there are plenty of languages who give you more flexibility. I can't in modern English, or at least none of the mainstream dialects, say, I cut the bread not with a hacksaw, period. <laughs> um, can say, I didn't cut the, I cut the bread not with a hacksaw, but a butter knife. Mm-hmm. That works mm-hmm. where your scope is clear, but that's only because You've got this extra phrase, not you, dot, 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 but, dot, dot, dot. Or you'd say it wasn't the bread that I cut, but rather the carrot that I cut with a hacksaw. Right, exactly. It becomes then a question of clefting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another way or to you it. Could say, but, um, or you could say, I cut the bread with a non-hacksaw. That's just... Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah. That's, that's very weird. marked, but it's possible. <laughs> it's very marked. Um, and then, it's, again, for English... I didn't cut the bread with a hacksaw, but a butter knife is another example of the ambiguity. In English, modern English, not goes up to the front with that verb complex and tends to stay there, and you have to figure out the scope with other things. Like tone of voice. Like tone of voice. I'm, and I bring this up specifically because there are languages which will have special negative scope markers or effectively negative focus markers mm-hmm. that let you – either you can move the word for not – around with more flexibility Mm -hmm. and control the scope that way. Or if you need to, you might have a special negative particle of some sort, either a suffix or separate particle or or whatever. Um, So that's that for scope. I mean, it's relevant to think about, and I I think I'm safe. So a few weeks ago, I said you could just Google a phrase and you'd find lots of papers. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that the Google phrase I gave was wrong. (laughs) But if I think, I think if you say, Scope of negation as a Google search, it will give you lots of linguistics papers and a few philosophy papers because it's an interesting topic that people worry about a lot. Um, yeah, and from what it sounds like, this could be a, a whole discussion topic on it. So, Yeah, semanticists mm-hmm. can, can write dissertations on this, which we're, we don't mm-hmm. need to get into. So let's, let's kind of move along and keep talking about uh, different other concerns you have to deal with with negation. Um, so, I don't know. William, do you want to keep talking and sure, let's I can go, go through all of us, or, um, or do we want to take well, turns or that's something? That's fine. We can just hit the, the big points. So, the next question is, how many kinds of negators do you have? In English, we just have not, which tends to get glommed onto helping verbs with things like don't and didn't. But for the most part, we just have one negative adverb. Mm-hmm. This is by no means the only way to do it. 
ancient Greek and Sanskrit have two different negators. One is used for realis, one is used for non-realis, non-finite forms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have a special way of marking prohibitions. Mm. Okay. So <clears throat> there was much fun early in the history of Natvi because there are two negators, two forms of negation. There's the normal not, which is used everywhere except in imperative, and then we have a separate, separate negative for um, imperatives, except that was glossed as don't. Okay. The earliest word lists, and everyone sort of it was it was a, a happy mix of all sorts mm-hmm. of inappropriate negation. So, are those two words uh, related at all? No, the standard not is um, ke, and the imperative or the prohibition one is ra. Chinese has the same thing, although they overlap a little bit. You can still use bu for imperatives, but mm-hmm. I think it's more common to use bia. Sure. Um, yeah. So you could have something like that, but have them overlap just a little bit. Um, um, and Chinese is, also has, you know, mayo. This mm-hmm. sort of asymmetry in different kinds of negation in different circumstances of tense, aspect, mood, so on and so forth, are actually surprisingly common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are entire Walls chapters about this very issue, if you wish to investigate. Yeah, and we, we'll link to this Walls chapter that you gave us, um, what is it, chapter uh, 114, yeah. which talks about a- all different types of asymmetric negation. So, you know, people can look about it. And from the article... From the walls chapter I read, it appears that a language can also can have multiple types of this asymmetry. So yeah. it's not even so much that you have a certain type of asymmetry. It can be you can mix and match a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just wanted to mention it because it was fun. Um, Greek and Sanskrit, like I said, have share cognate double negation. Well, well. But we'll just ignore one one of the cognates. But how to negate a participle um, is mixed. In Vedic Sanskrit, produced a new adjective with a prefix that's cognate with the A in apathetic and atheist. Hmm. And is further cognate with English un. Okay. okay. So I talked a little bit about how different moods might um, take different negators. And then... Be going the other way, there are a few languages that require you to use a special either negative mood that's marked on the verb, or they might use irrealis for most negative statements or all negative statements. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right, because in some sense, saying something didn't happen is a little bit odd. There's a little bit of unreality about that, so that seems to be what motivates the shift of that into an irrealis. Hmm. And that Mm -hmm. tends to happen in languages where you use funky moods for uh, questions as well. It seems to me that those tend to go together. Uh, I don't know if this is related, but I know in Russian when you're talking about non-existence, rather than saying using the nominative, you use the genitive form. I don't know if non-existence falls under that arealis kind of umbrella, but uh, it might. Yeah, or or some partitive thing going on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like... Maybe there was another another case that merged with the genitive because it seems weird to have the genitive take that. Uh, um, why? <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe <laughs> just because 
because I have an idea of what the genitive means. <laughs> Russian has no lack of cases. <laughs> That's true. That's it's just curious to me that that for some reason they would make negatives genitive. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Maybe someone who understands it better theoretically can explain it to us in an email. Perhaps. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Quite. Um, I was surprised to find that using an auxiliary verb for negation mm-hmm. is pretty darn rare. In the Walls data set, 47 of 1,159 languages, that's 4%. Wow. Now, uh, here's a question. Is that like 4 per, like, is that talking language families or t- talking about each individual member of that language each family? Each individual member that was picked for Walls. They don't um, mm-hmm. separate my language family particularly. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so finish notwithstanding, this is a pretty rare feature. Hmm. Um, the, the next thing I just wanted to bring up was I'm calling it pleonastic negation, where pleonastic means you're using it too much. Hmm. Uh, but I say that, but it seems to be a standard feature in lots of languages. Like, for example, Spanish. I didn't see mm-hmm. nobody. So I call yes. it pleonastic negation. However, <laughs> um, uh, during research for the show, I learned that lots of people call it negative agreement. Okay. Yeah, I've I've heard negative agreement and negative concord. Mm-hmm. Basically, I like that term basically because to the idea that I think is going on is that certain parts of the sentence agree with the verb in terms of polarity, mm-hmm. but that. It it might be a little bit of a stretch because even even in cases like Spanish where it's obligatory in several parts of the sentence, there are other parts where it's not obligatory, and it's where it's like optional. Where is it um, optional? That's the most interesting to me. Um, I don't know. Um, actually, Spanish is a bad example because I can't you know, think of. It might be something that has to do with the verb agreement because um, if you're talking about like, uh, if it's like, I didn't see anybody or I didn't see nobody, mm-hmm. then you'd use, you know, nobia nadie. But if you say nobody saw the book, you wouldn't say nobody didn't see the book, I don't think. You'd say nadie be a That's true. So if, that, if it's that, with the DP or the VP, if you're going by, you know, GM gum binding theory. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're, that's, that's true, Mike. Um, generally, if there's the, um, if the subject is negative and the verb would not be, then it's just the subject that'll be negative. But when the verb that this is, this is an important thing to consider for your language is what parts of the sentence get negated in uh, a, a negative concord situation. Because in Spanish, I think tendency is that if the verb is negated, then other parts, usually the object. And any, um, like adverbs uh, in place and so forth. Yeah, mm-hmm. adverbs and, um, and what I'm gonna try, uh, indefinite pronouns too. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It's like anybody, alguien becomes nadie, usually. Um, and then there's also even more things, like if you have the, um, uh, nunca or jamás, both meaning never, you negate the whole sentence. And it's sort of more like, uh, there's a, 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 a line in, uh, in Pan's Labyrinth where the, where the fawn says, no os vas a, uh, let's see, no os vas a ver 
Hamas. Actually, it should be Bice. I just, but anyway, you get the point. You're not gonna, well, okay, can you? Perhaps okay. you could translate for me. Yeah. Um, you will never see us again, but okay. it's, um, it's more like you will not see us again ever. Okay, I wonder if that's for emphasis though, like Hamas, Hamas, like never again. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's sort of, it, it's sort of a more forceful negative that way. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, yeah, um, just just to the point. What I was just gonna say, this is a common feature in all over the planet to have this sort of, um, we'll call it negative mm-hmm. concord, pleonastic. Okay. It's just not a nice word. Um, <laughs> uh, and and it has various kinds of rules. So in ancient Greek, any role can show this, but weird things happen if your normal, boring, simple neg- negative particle comes first. Or if it comes after the mm-hmm. um, other negative words, so okay. that adds just oh, an extra little dance to this madness. Um, <laughs> Sp- Spanish does Italian do this? Uh, uh, probably I for most know. people, Spanish will be the language most easily. Um, well, Russian does yeah. this. Mm-hmm. So Spanish and Russian are the two big languages where I think it will be easy for people who are interested in this to find papers and examples of. Yeah, although. I think Spanish, the thing is, it works very much the same as it works in English, in uh, non-standard usage in English. So it might be better to try to find something a little bit more to more exotic if you want to play around with different things. But, well, um, yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, English is weird because Old English absolutely was 100% happy to cram as many negatives into a sentence as it felt comfortable with. Hmm. It is mm-hmm. only prissy Victorian school marms who decided that English needed to be more like Latin that yes. people decided we couldn't use so-called double negatives anymore. Yeah, and or it was also sort of a mathematical logic apl- applied to language, which is kind of bizarre when you think yeah. about it. Yes, please keep logicians away from my language. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if there's any other languages that have... Uh, that have that same sort of prescript, prescriptivist tradition trying to erase their double negatives. I don't think there is. Yeah, that would be interesting to know. I mean, there's all yeah. sorts of prescriptivism presents itself in all sorts of funky ways, but I don't know about on mm-hmm. this specific issue. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, we have talked a, a whole, um, the only thing I would want to mention myself anymore on this topic is I actually played with negative concord a little bit in Iurio and if I remember correctly, I made it so that I I don't know if any natural language does anything like this, but if I remember correctly, I made it so that the prohibitive modal takes a negative verb. Just to you, be mm-hmm. extra funny. And how did you encode negation on your verb? Um that's uh something that's that um I think is in your notes, Mike. I actually have uh, the negative marked on the verb. The verb has a negative conjugation. Okay. Hmm. I wasn't sure if maybe you had a t- completely different lexical form for the negative form, kind of like Russian has its aspects completely. Sometimes they sound unrelated. Um, for to be, there's a different lexical form, but mm-hmm. most of, most of the time it's just they take different uh, uh, mood slash tense suffixes. Oh, okay. Um. And, uh, that can sort of, um, 
segue us into that topic, right? Um, do you have another particle that marks the negative, or do you mark it directly on the verb or directly on something else? Is it like a clitic or something? There's, uh, I think, William, you have this in your notes. There's, you know, the language that have languages that have particles on both sides of the verb, like uh, French n'est pas. Mm-hmm. Right. Discontinuous negation. Discontinuous sounds mm-hmm. better than pleonastic. Um, that is quite an unusual feature. Um, Navajo has it, except that what can go in the negation is much more flexible than what can go in the nepa in French. Okay. Um, in no- Navajo, it's tota, um, which sometimes joins together just to be the word for no. Apparently, mm-hmm. colloquial Welsh ha- hmm. effectively has this. Um, it's a pretty unstable feature. Uh, the article I read suggested English thought about it for a while. Or Old English did, before finally deciding no. Okay. We're not going to do this. Uh, where you had something both before the verb and then later, and then they, they gave up on the, the thing after the verb after a while. I just love that you put it as English thought about it for a while, as if there was some conscious decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever. <clears throat> okay. Um. So that's another thing. And, again, there's... There's real languages that will just mark it directly on the verb. Japanese does this in that it has negative conjugations of words. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, does that really work anything different from when you have a particle, really? Or is it just kind of the same as... But then you have... that's when, In that situation, then you have a real scope question. Yeah. That's true, because does it negate just the verb or the whole sentence? I would, pr- well, I mean, I would assume that in normal use it negates the entire assertion. But if you one, then want to pick particular items to focus on, then you're, you're going to have to have some technique to do that. I'm sure Japanese does. I don't know what it you're is. Probably, you could probably use focus markers for that or a topic or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that Japanese has some fun, or fun perhaps- discourse. Or perhaps that's that's where you get into cutting the bread with a non-hacksaw or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that that that's that's one way to get around that is if you want to specifically negate one part of the the sentence, but the verb has a negative form, then right. you can just attach something negative to that part. Right, right, right. Sort of negative focus. We're back to that again. Yeah, that's um, true. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now with. With um, quick question, the discontinuous negation, is that only talking about, like, say, uh, if it works kind of like a circumfix, like you say in French, there's something that goes to the front and something that goes to the back? Mm -hmm. Or could it also be if there was, like, a co-referential kind of thing, like, say there was one word that goes on the no, the word for no, and then there's another affix or word that goes with the thing that's being negated? Would that be discontinuous negation? Uh... Do you know what I'm saying? I, I think I do, in which case you're presenting an awfully strange idea. Uh, I like that. That's interesting. No, it, it would only be discontinuous negation if you conceived of that sec- the second instance of that mm-hmm. agreement as intrinsically negative. Okay. Hmm. Both ne and pa are clearly negators and nothing else, regardless yeah. of their etymology. Mm-hmm. Navajo, to, da, same. It's negation, period. Okay. Um, and that brings up another thing. Mike, you actually put in your notes yeah. that whether or not there's dedicated words for yes and no, mm-hmm. or whether you, um, are actually, uh, you express an affirmative or negative answer 
I presume by repeating the verb, which is what happens in Chinese very often and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think that's something you might want to consider while you're doing negation, but, um, we, we were talking before the show and we decided we, we'd save all the very, uh, specific art talk about that for next episode, which we're going to be talking about questions because since those are answers to questions we're going to do, we can talk a little bit more about those there. Sure. Yeah. Right. How do you answer? Yeah. Did he not get here on time? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, kind what, of what, stuff. What's, what's natural to a native speaker of English, as I'm sure we've all learned to our sadness in learning foreign languages, is not the same in different languages. <laughs> yeah, it can be. It can be very different. But the, that's that's sort of more related to questions. So we'll save the sure. the very complicated argument about that for <laughs> that episode. Yeah. Um, the only the only reason I put it there is because if you were to go with the st- the circumstance where you had to negate your answer if you said like did you did you go to the store if you couldn't just say no and you had to say no I didn't go that didn't go part is relevant to the uh, topic of negation so yeah yeah that's true yeah it, whether you would use any different way of negating it like mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe if you could whether you could just say the verb or you had to say more of the sentence or something like that mm-hmm. that makes sense um it might be more of a usage question than the mechanics, but in the sense of it doesn't really it doesn't really talk about how you form that negative so much as where you use your negative in the answer or in just yeah. talking a declaration or whatever. Yeah, I even mentioned in my notes whether the answer to a negative uh, question uh, would have some some weird pragmatic issues, but that's again more to the questions. So why don't we talk a little bit? Uh, where were we here? The, and uh, how to deny a negative That's the same assertion. thing. That's, that. that's, a, that's the same <laughs> thing. I think what's illocutionary. Illoc- yeah, what's illocutionary negation, William? What's, what's this you're talking about? This is a special subtype of the scope question. So let me give you three sentences. I promise I will come. I don't promise I will come. And I promise I will not come. And then I don't promise I won't come. <laughs> right, right. Thank you. I, but that's a very marked I, way of saying I pro. I'm. I. I. I probably will come. Right. A, yeah, that's an, an extremely complicated way to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the point is, it's not quite scope. But when you say I don't promise I will come, and I promise I will not come, these mean quite different things. Mm-hmm. Very, very different things. Yes, and that's true. The reason I bring it up is because funny things can happen at that boundary, lexically. Ancient Greek, as I've mentioned before, has multiple verbs of speaking. One of them, but not the others. When you negate it, is effectively um, of the I will promise, I promise I will not come variety. It effectively means deny. Okay. Uh-huh. I don't say I will come means I say I will not come. I deny that I will come. Okay. All right. So, again, I'm pretty sure illocutionary negation. Googling will give you lots of things about this. I bring it up because I say that I will go. I don't say I will go. These have interesting implications. Um, in particular, um, if you have a subjunctive, funny things can happen. For example, <laughs> in French, with the verb to believe... <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. If you say, I believe something, you use the indicative. If you say, I don't believe something, you use the subjunctive for mm-hmm. the subplot. And in Spanish, mm-hmm. I think he, when you're saying about um, when you hope something happens or you hope, espero que no hagas algo or, you know, no, no it's the same with, uh, with, with um, affirmative as negative, but the subjunctive yeah, that's, is that's, weird. Yeah, it's just subjunctive just goes with um, complement clauses of any verb that relates to mental processes, want, think, whatever. Yeah, but then again, then there's with negative commands. That's where it gets into using the subjunctive for negative informal commands and versus mm-hmm. affirmative formal or informal commands. Like, haz la tarea for your homework and no hagas la tarea. You know, no haga la tarea. Don't. Don't do it. Use the subjunctive with the negative command. Really? Mm. They don't use a, a, a negated imperative for that? Um, not really. Like, it's with, there are, um, for some verbs, there's a shortened form for the informal, uh, second person singular, um, command. But if you're using the negative, yeah. use the subjunctive. The, uh, the, the imperative and subjunctive are a re- little bit mixed up in Spanish. I think that imperative may have been derived from subjunctive at one point. Mm-hmm. So it, it gets a little difficult to, it, it gets a little bit hard to tease out sometimes. Right. So again, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring up my favorite example, ancient Greek. Mm-hmm. A negative imperfective uses the imperative. Mm-hmm. A negative perfective uses a second person subjunctive. Now, um, I'm not sure if all of our listeners will necessarily know what those are. Can you give an example? Uh, like, instead of saying negative imperative, negative imperfective, etc. Uh, uh, it's hard because English doesn't distinguish aspect in imperatives. Ah, okay. Right? That's so, true. You know, yeah. don't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> would, would be, you know, don't be doing that would be, you know, is imperfective prohibition. Um, would use a normal imperative form but don't do that okay which we'll take as perfective you know is a simple statement mm. would use the irrealis negator followed by a second person perfective mm. which is also okay. called the greek the aorist so that's my point to bring this up again is again there's something weird sometimes about commands yes negative commands are often different from other kinds of negation mm-hmm and it was just surprising to me that Spanish also resorts to a subjunctive. I wonder if I'm guessing other romance. I have a vague memory that other romance languages might do this as well. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you know, it'd be interesting, but yeah. it wouldn't. If one does it, I'd expect to see it in maybe some of the other related languages. Yeah. Um, is there really anything more that we can say? I, I'm sure that there's more about we can say about some of these specific topics that we just don't have time to deal with, like all the all the different things dealing with scope and all the different things dealing with the elocutionary. But is there are there any more high points that we really want to hit? Um, I can't think of anything offhand. Mike, you have evidentiality in your notes, but we did a whole episode on evidentiality. I don't know if it interacts with negation so much, does it? Uh, I'm not sure. I just remembered that... I. When I was thinking about doing this with my conlang, I was thinking about having different, I guess, degrees of negation based on how um, how evident it is. Like, if you saw it firsthand, maybe there's the highest level of mm-hmm. negation. Whereas if you heard someone telling someone else it was untrue, maybe there's a lower level of negation. 
Okay. I think, I think in the walls chapter, it mentions maybe evidentiality interacting with negation a little bit. So it might, that might happen a little. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to find where, where I think I saw that. I may be making things up. <laughs> You'd <would> never. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, uh, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me if evidentiality or maybe even a negative marker took the same slot as an evidential marker. Mm. That would be uh, interesting. So, <laughs> but there, there is an entire subchapter in Aikenwald's famous book on evidentiality about, again, the question of scope and negation. Mm-hmm. If you have a direct evidential and you say, I didn't see him. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, well, let me say that. See, uh, um, or you, you're saying he didn't... I- um, I, I, that you cut off there. Yeah, 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 no, that's because my brain cut off. Um, <laughs> the, you, you might say like the, the senator might be sleeping with his aide indirect, right? Right. Or the senator is not sleeping with his aide indirect. Does that, or does that mean that? I did not actually do that, or am I reporting that I, that that's the evidence I got? Correct. Mm. Yeah. If you have a language that has flexible negator that can float around, then there are languages that allow you to negate the evidential. Oh, so you could say... I did not see... The, um, mm. Like, yeah, you could say basically, like, the center is sleeping with his his aide not direct, and that could mean that I don't know whether he's sleeping with his aide through my own experience. Right. But so, I can't say anything else. Right. There, there's different possibilities. Different languages definitely take these differently. Um, mm-hmm. So, for example, in some languages, you know, a, an indirect evidential in a negative sentence, you're, the scope only applies to the action and not to the evidential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there are other languages where it can apply to the evidential as well. So, again, a decision for language inventors to just make and go with, secure the knowledge that the human brain can process it. Because natural, natural languages do. It's one of those things where you have, if you have, um, if you have evidentials, then you have to make the decision which way it's going to go. Yeah. Right. Um, um, I was going to say, I just, I'm, I'm quick checking something here. There are, there's one language that has four evidentials, yeah. and mm-hmm. they're all obliterated in a negative statement. Huh. Oh, interesting. So that they just disappear. Right. Negation does its own its own thing, and 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 that sort of makes sense because there's something slightly spooky about negation, just like there is about the future. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just it's so complicated. Okay. Well, I think that covers everything that we had in our notes here. Did anybody mm-hmm. think of anything extra to say about negation or any extra questions? Hmm. Not that won't take us a long time to get through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, I think uh, we can. Hmm. Oh, I was just going to say that, you know, it's just something that I think you can, there's a lot of possibilities out there and just a lot of things that people can practice with and try novel things. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a few links here. And also we'll say you can do some of your own research, do the Google searches that William mentioned and, and just, you know, while you're thinking about the negation in your conlang, just think about, you know, there's a whole lot of different decisions that you have to make. It's not just a simple, do I put a particle or a verb form or a 
a dummy auxiliary, which mm-hmm. strikes me as really weird. By the way, does that happen in other languages much in other languages other than in English, or is it kind of a rare thing? It seems really weird to me. It seems really weird to me, too. My mm-hmm. impression, and this could be a false memory, is that it's pretty darn strange and unusual. Now, okay. I wonder, so does, uh, do, you, do either of you know if German does that? Because, I mean, English, I don't know if English would have come up with that just on its own. No, no, no. German is just a boring, we have nicht, and it goes, and it's not. Okay. I've no never heard of a, a, a Germanic language doing that. Of course, I don't know much about Germanic languages, so somebody might correct us with with something from some some language we haven't heard of, but as far as I know, it's an innovation that occurred in English. Hmm. Um, so it is. It does does seem really weird. So you might want to stay away from doing. Don't unless you really like that feature and you want to include it. Mm-hmm. Like like we say, English has some weirdnesses, and you might like those weirdnesses. There's nothing wrong with including an English feature in your con line, as long as you know that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um. But I conlanging with malicious intent. <laughs> well, if, if, well, if you're going for a journal language that you want someone to have a real, you know, real tough time trying to decipher, you can, you know, feel free to lace it with all sorts of pitfalls and back turns like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's just. It's just. You know. I, 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 I'm just saying that because a lot of people just say, oh, avoid anything that smacks of English. And I say, no, no, no. You just have to know where your stuff is coming from and know why you're doing all, all these things. The, the problem that occurs when people end up doing relaxes and stuff is when they're not mindful of the influence that their own native language or of English, because some some people just put it. Some like second language speakers even put English features in for no reason. You mm-hmm. you don't know that you're doing that, so that's 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 the reason I say it that way. Anyway, I think that's about all we have to say about negation, unless we want to do an entirely new episode on one of these <laughs> other tiny topics, because there is a whole lot to to deal with. So. If we're still doing this in a year, we might need to move on to that. <laughs> yeah. Any 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 objections to uh to us uh moving on to our featured conlang then? Not for me. No, I okay. think that's fine. All right, then we are going to talk about Brithenig. No. Brithenig. Is that the way? Brithenig. 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 Whatever. Yep. <laughs> This, uh, I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm, I, I am tend to be a little bit more Brithenig or however you want to anglicize that name. Um, so this is probably the sort of er example of what William calls the Bogo Lang, what I like to call an Alt Lang or something. Uh, the basic premise is that the William stay, the, the Romans stayed in Britain, right? Mm-hmm. And they specifically, this is the, the language, the Romance language that develops in, uh, Wales according to that scenario. Yep. So it's sort of, it's sort of mostly Latin words run through Welsh sound changes. Right, Welsh historical sound changes. Uh-huh. Yeah, this really is the 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 originator of that practice. I'm pretty sure. Um, mm-hmm. 
people like the guy who invented Venedig, in fact, is currently hosting the Britannic Grammar because the original website disappeared. Uh-huh. Um, and most people who make these, you know, make their allegiances to <laughs> Britannic as the parent. So now, that seems to definitely mm-hmm. be true. Is this still langu- is this language still undergoing uh, revisions? Because the last update that I saw on that site was from uh, August eighteenth, two thousand nine. So I don't know if that's still being updated or if it was just that was the last one I saw. I don't think the there's much work going on to it. I was able to contact the uh, the creator. Ooh. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, and he replied back to me, but um, he's in New Zealand, so the the time for him is was not. He was not able to come on the podcast, but uh, oh. anyway, um, I see. I don't know much about Latin, really, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and I don't know much about Welsh, so I can't really <laughs> judge. Well, I mean, you know, I see cognates, obviously, but yeah. as you should, as a speaker of Spanish, you should see mm-hmm. this. Um, I do know both of those languages, and okay. to me, um, and I'm going to use, I'm going to go with George and use the English pronunciation, mm-hmm. um. Brythenic just looks to me like a romance language with extremely strange spelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is a really weirdly spelled romance. Well, it, he uses basically Welsh spelling rules, it looks like. And um, it, has, um, it has some mutations that are interesting. Yeah. That's very Celtic. And, and that's fine. The, yeah. And as far as the, um, yeah, that's, that's true. They use, the, he uses a lot of constant mutation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to say, I am much, more forgiving of using, in this case, this sort of Welsh spelling rules. I don't know if it would have necessarily developed naturally, but when it's fine when the, to have some weird spelling when the native, when understandably the native, uh, script of the language would be the Roman alphabet, which it would be the case for uh, Britannic or Britannic, mm-hmm. uh, because specifically it's, it's, you know, a, a, uh, a descendant of Latin and it's in a, in a region that in our world everybody uses the Roman alphabet in. So mm-hmm. it makes and, perfect sense. And I think it's totally conceivable if, if there were people there who were educated or, or used to using their, their own, their own languages spelling or, uh, conventions. And if they have people coming in, you, teaching this other language, perhaps if they learn, if they apply their own spelling before they learn mm. the quote-unquote correct one, maybe that's where it fossilized in like that. I don't know. I don't know. When the Romans came to Britain, were any of the Celtic languages written? No. Hmm. Okay, that would, that that seems like less of a, although it's, it, it's sort of Welsh, the Welsh writing system is an attempt to Make the, make the Latin alphabet fit with Welsh phonology. And the phonology of Britannic is pretty close to, to Welsh. So, so it makes, it makes sense that they may have come sort of to a similar point. But anyway, let's, let's not talk all day about the Romanization. Let's, let's, let's talk a little <laughs> well, bit more about the language itself. But, but I wanted to say something about the Romanization. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to say, I want to say two things. First of all, First of all, the mutations mm-hmm. are extremely restrained compared to real Welsh. Mm-hmm. They're there. Okay. They follow a characteristic pattern. They are much simpler than mm-hmm. real Welsh, 
or a language inspired by that, Sindarin. Hmm. And Sindarin mm-hmm. takes us to the other point is, I think people use Welsh spellings because there is an affection and romance for that thanks to Tolkien. You want yeah. fantasy elves and fairy and knights and ladies and all of that, then you spell word, you spell the diphthong I-A-E. Oh, okay. Um, right? in, it's, it's, yeah. to give, it's to give this visual impression of this. It's, it's like, it's like, well, frankly, it's like having a knight or a king in the first place. It's, it's a little sign of the genre that you're dealing with. Well, and now, that's one, fine. It's not, it's not the same philosophy that I follow when I'm doing it, but you know, it's, if that's what you want to do with it, then that's what you want to do with it. I, I one thing that's... that I kept having to think, to consciously not do in the, in Brittanique was, uh, in Welsh, I think the, what looks like a letter U to us is pronounced like an, like the sound E, right, uh, William? Yeah, except this language avoids that madness. Yeah, that's what I was kind of looking oh, at that and I'm like, oh, that's weird. And then the W being <laughs> yeah. a vowel and then the Y, you know, it's. Yeah, they, they, they do the, use the, W and Y as vowels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then. Yes, but not in the full complexity that Welsh does. Yeah. Thankfully. Okay. <laughs> really? Does Welsh yeah. have, have more? Well, well, um, I don't know if I should tease this, but we will be talking about Welsh in the future, so. Right. Um, and that's just, you know, whatever, the development of historical stuff. Anyway, let's go, <laughs> we should move on to talk about interesting things about the language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of it, I, I mean, I don't know Welsh practically at all, so maybe I'll be asking this question as well, and you might be able to answer. Um, but uh, I noticed that they had. Um, well, actually, maybe I'll maybe we'll talk about this when we go into it. Um, George, or were one of you guys going to lead us through, or do you have no? Let's, points let's, you let, we, let's just kind of make observations. Just go ahead and say what you were going to say. Um, all right. Well, uh, they ca- I saw that they kept they kept the ge- they had genders in there. I don't know if Welsh has genders. Does it? Like I like Latin. Uh, not like Latin, but uh, you know mm-hmm. I don't remember. <laughs> hmm. You don't. Uh, I think it does. Uh, I think it, wait, wait, yeah, I, I think it does. And um, yeah, but the gender prob- probably here derives from Latin, probably. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, one thing that I was before we totally venture away from the uh, changes from Latin to the Welsh orthography, did you guys notice any like, um, like any traceable? This turned into this because it seemed like for especially the double L. I don't think there's anything similar to that in Latin. So like for the. Uh, for the articles, for example, I think they had ish and then floor right. or something like that. I don't know if it was maybe an initial or final L that changed over, or did you? Could you guys um, see anything? Well, let's. Where is the grandmaster plan on this? Right. I remember seeing the the that might have been on the Frathwiki site. Let me find mm-hmm. the Frathwiki. But the grandmaster plan is the name for your giant page of sound changes mm. to explain the change from, in this case, Latin to Brythenic. Mm. Um, okay. And we, please remember that even though Latin did have anything like a schle, mm-hmm. um, neither did Proto-Celtic. It's a special thing yeah. that Welsh did on its own. Mm. <laughs> um, how Welsh? Yes, how Welsh. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, several things involve the development. So the yeah. noise we're making is also, sha, which is the lateral um, fricative. It's used in Welsh, and then you don't see it anywhere else in Europe. And I know it mostly from um, the languages of Native America, like I think my Klingon uses it. 
Klingon uses <laughs> it with it. Who uses it, an affricate, yeah? Shla. Yeah. <laughs> this is just plain shla, like Shloethen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there yeah. are various there are various circumstances which cause the change from L or, or various things that revolted in this. So word initial okay. L mm-hmm. turned into Sha. Mm-hmm. The combination LT medially became Sha. Hmm. <laughs> so that's um, interesting. And the, just well, a plain old ordinary double L became a sha. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, I oh, oh, um, as did as did the combination SL, which makes a lot yeah. more sense to me. I think I linked to the frat, frat wiki in our um, in our thing, and uh, it actually has a comparative chart with other Romance languages, so that can help a little bit. And Welsh on the side as well. I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that the LT, I could see maybe if there was, if it flipped at one point instead of being LT to TL, and then maybe slowly that's, that um, made him more and more like tla, 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 and then at the end. But that's just uh, speculation. Yeah, um, uh, place the giant volcano that caused, um, Iceland, the modern <laughs> version of Iceland has um, these lateral affricates that developed out of double L. So the horrible volcano um, was Eyjafatla Jökull. Mm. Yes, and the two places and, those are just and, double L's. Mm-hmm. So I could and see no it going, news announcer could pronounce that, so they just said the Icelandic v- volcano. <laughs> I had friends who who called it um, Mount Osborne because it sounded like Ozzy Osborne talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which but say, um, um, unpronounceably. My my point is, yeah. it could have gone from Alla to Atla to Asla. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's not it an could have. Sound change. Yeah. Um, um, yeah no. Although, yeah, sound changes can sometimes take surprising leaps. So mm-hmm. it's it wouldn't it wouldn't really surprise me for LT Alta just to go straight to Asla for no apparent reason. Um, it's similar enough, I think. Yeah, uh, and maybe it's sort of the L. Uh, Losing sonorancy because of the T or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's why SL makes change. Anyway, we shouldn't obsess over one sound change. Yeah. But he came yeah. up with reasonable um, ways to introduce this sound that Latin has nothing like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, and he he just was trying to to make Latin go along the same route that Walsh took at least within yeah. during that period of time. So. Oh, that's another this is, thing. This is what? hysterical. What? So I'm looking at the page on questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the example sentences is, how green was your valley? <laughs> oh, my. Uh, so, <laughs> why this is hysterical to me is because the word kum, meaning valley, is mm-hmm. used in English. And um, Scrabble Nuts love it because it's spelled C-W-M. Uh-huh. Oh yes, is but it's w a Welsh word. What I thought I thought the W was like a U uh sound. No, it's hmm. an U. Okay. Uh, in in yeah. any case, um, he imported this into Brythonic because hmm. <laughs> it is not a Latin-derived <laughs> word, to the best of my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's realistic. It will it will have gotten some of the native uh, Celtic terms. Of yeah, they mentioned that. They mentioned that in there. Um, here's a question uh, for anybody who knows. Welsh and William, that's you. Um, the word order he mentions, he said that it was uh, 
first person, the second person, and third person in sentences. Is that common in uh, Welsh? Wait, word order what? Um, I'm sorry. I was glancing over my paper with my notes on it here. But um, word order, like when you're talking about like pop, like Paul and I went to the store. I think they uh-huh. said in there, um, and I realize this is totally a jump from what we were just talking about. I apologize. Um, but uh, yeah, in well, in modern Welsh, do they do that also and say like I and Paul go somewhere? You know, I don't. That's a pretty uh, detailed question that I do not know about Welsh. Mm. Yeah, that's a uh, that's that's also really weird that he was that specific about that because, like in English class, you learn that you're supposed to put uh, second and third person refers before yourself. But I don't think there's necessarily a a a, uh, a real grammatical rule in English as to uh, the order of that that kind of phrasing. Is there? Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, it seems more of a politeness thing to me. So mm-hmm. it seems odd that he he they would uh, define that so strictly for mm-hmm. Brythenic. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it's only politeness, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find if I can verify the word order because mm-hmm. most famously the Celtic languages are VSO for the most part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Romance languages definitely are not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Latin was SOV and kind most of. Romance languages are SVO, right? Uh, yes. Latin was more okay. borderline non-configurational but whatever mm-hmm. well that's true but it 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 was mostly sov yeah um yeah i think it's it i think pretending is svo really mm-hmm. well that would that would fit with what other romance languages have developed too so mm-hmm. it's not it's too surprising um so here's our um our topic today in verbs, he talks about how you negate a verb. Mm. Um, you apply. See, this is this is very fun. You apply the nasal mutation to verbs beginning with a an obstruent. Okay. P T K B D G, and you have a particle which follows. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. Ah. Now I wonder. Okay. Does that have anything, do you think that's related to the, like rien in French? I mean, oh, it could be. Yeah, yeah, for nothing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know the history of this because that's definitely not. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is not simple Latin. Yeah. Uh, well, what what did Latin have? Did it have known? It just had known. Known, <laughs> and then so. And some funny things in imperatives and dependent clauses we will not talk about now. <laughs> yeah. So if that got um, glommed onto the verb, then obviously, then obviously you you could just turn into. Nasal mutation. That's what I assume the etymology that is, is mm-hmm. n- known, yeah. crushed under time, um, leaving only a wisp on certain verbs. Um, yeah. And then, is, and then they might develop a, uh, a final particle to make it more salient. Right. Yeah. right. It seems like the mutations yeah. like devoured a lot of things, like the plural, um, the plural suffix, I think it also doesn't show anymore. They just show a uh, mutation in the initial consonant and, uh, I think there's umlaut, a vowel change, right? Is that a? Is that's that, a normal feature of Welsh? Yeah, I was gonna say that sounds like a Welsh kind of thing because yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, is there umlauting going on? I see mostly 
just boring plurals. Well, I thought I thought when I was looking at it, I saw like um, that there that there was a vowel shift, like or a, that the that the vowel would shift to show that it was or maybe to reinforce that it was a plural in addition to the the um, initial mutation. Let me just see if I can find the page that I saw that on. Yeah. Um, hmm. The the numerals are mostly romance, but then I'm not sure. Okay, I think this might just be a mutation. It goes it goes from kindig to yindig. Right. It's one in and, fifteen, two in fifteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's actually different from what the uh, the romance languages do. So it kind of. They got kind of through something else. Yes, the numbers are hmm. are marvelously funky. <laughs> they are like thirty, fifty, and seventy are are um, compound instead of simple things. And uh, so, one of the the things about Brythenic is it sort of not just inspired a bunch of other languages of this sort, but I assume it is responsible for the entire creation. Um, of an entire community of people um, who have an entire world, Ilbetsia. Um Yes, and I don't know entirely if if you know if he was really involved in that, except as an inspiration. Oh no! Um, is Venedic in the same universe as Brythenic? Yes, it is. It is. Okay, so there's so there's a bunch of these extra Romance languages in if. Il Ilbethsiad. Is it Il or Ifbethsiad? Bethsiad. <laughs> no, Bethisad. 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 If it's if it's a Brythonic word, it would be If Bethisad. Yes, you're right. If Bethisad. All right. Anyway, um, which has its own wiki, which has its entire own wiki. Right. Um. Oh well, we'll have to. I'll have yes, to link to that yes. too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. The. The other feature I wanted to just mention, uh, not feature, well, it's a sort of feature, is this language has a tremendously huge dictionary. That's mm-hmm. nice. Um, and a lot of texts were translated into it, so I don't know. And there are one or two comments that suggest to me that this language got use by its inventor beyond just, here, look at my language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beyond simply a... Um, an exercise in fun. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of example texts. Yes. I yeah, mean, I mean texts. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. There are over a dozen sample texts here, and they're long texts, too. Some of them. And there's yeah. some ones from other languages, too. That's nice. He translated some subtitles from movies, which I think, actually, that's a good thing to do if you want to do some discourse work because you have to figure out how to how to structure a conversation. Absolutely. Um, I might have chosen a movie other than Blade. Hmm. <laughs> or The Phantom Menace. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> However, but, using, yeah. using Lost in Translation is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What was I going to say? Yes. No, and poems and all this. So it's it's a substantial language. Yeah. Poem about Esperanto. Yeah. Which is funnier in, in Italian perhaps than it is in yeah. <sighs> I really wish I could find some uh, audio samples to play, because I was hoping that there were some 
for Bruce yeah. but Yeah. I want to do this uh, one. Well, I don't know. What else do we really want to say about Brithenic? We've said a whole bunch already here. Um, really, have we said things? It sounds like we're just meandering. Here's um, another, another. Yeah, we well, thing. we're um, meandering, but that's sort of the normal the norm for us doing a a, a featured conlang. Another thing um, is uh, the adjective order. It's, I thought it was kind of interesting that um, when the adjective follows the noun, it's literal, but when it precedes it, it's a figurative application. Did you guys see that? Really. I think it said that, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it does. Well, for some that do that, that have yeah, there's a, a small number of adjectives allow you to do that. That's a the, that's a weird thing. Um, that the the order of adjective and noun does have some differences in Romance languages. I know that in Spanish it has to do with restrictiveness, but right. I've never heard of a, a literal figurative split with that. See, there's something tickling in my brain that there's a natural (laughs) language of Europe where using a word like gran in this Mm -hmm. particular case in this way actually does confer a a figurative sense rather than a literal sense or or a a different kind of title rather than simply a description. Hmm, In Spanish, for some reason, I feel like in Spanish when they say like, like, uh, mi maestra vieja or mi vieja maestra. I'm not sure if one was fo- my former teacher and one is my old teacher or something like that. Um, but something, um, you know, it, there's a little something tickle in my brain too. It's, I, I've actually looked this up. In Spanish, it's about restrictiveness. If, uh, restrictiveness. If the adjective follows the noun, it's restrictive. You are talking about, like if you say el, el carro rojo, you're talking about the red car as opposed to the blue car or some other car. But if you put the adjective before it, it's not restrictive. It's just you happen to be noting that particular thing. Like un, un gran coche. It's a great car. There's lots of great cars. It's not, it's not the, yeah. the fact that it's great that you're distinguishing. It's just that th- this car happens to be great. I guess I, that makes sense. Restrictiveness breaks my brain a little bit because I'm not really sure what exactly it is, but that's the but, way that I can explain it. But in Spanish, I don't think, I mean, it sounds really, and not, maybe I'm wrong, but it, may, it sounds really odd to, odd to me to say, you know, el rojo carro. That sounds almost like a, an English speaker is making a mistake and not putting the, you know, the that's uh, true. answer afterwards. Yeah, so maybe I'm not sure... I don't maybe, know. Maybe only well, a few of them can do it. I don't know, but certainly we have the we have gone down a rabbit hole and stopped talking about Rasenic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so one neat thing that he did. Um, so one of the the features of Latin over time is that the comparative and superlative forms mm-hmm. of adjectives could be used simply as intensives. Yes. Uh-huh. This was a most delightful party, right? We can do this in English. Mm-hmm. We're not saying it is the most delightful party everywhere, ever. We're simply saying that it was Quite delightful well. to a high degree. Yes. The same is that process became generalized in Brithenig and the suffix isav, which to me is looks like it's probably the um, Latin uh, superlative isimum. Um, is oh, simply okay. a suffix on an adjective. So we have the, the, this city is very beautiful. Well, mm-hmm. very beautiful is velisav. But actually the, the F on the end is silent. It's silent as a final letter. Really? Look at, yeah, the alphabet page. It says, uh, 
So okay, three cheers for <laughs> etymological spellings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so you thinking that this is this this isa is is cognate with isimo, yeah, which isimo. in Spanish is is also done the same thing. It just means very. Right, right. Because yeah, if the M so, shifted and got became like a fric like a fricative, which is yes, mm-hmm. absolutely happened. That would, okay, that would and then it. it's lost. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Okay. So it's 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 interesting that he. So it. Looks I, I just like, like this. I just like this taking a little a little syntactic feature of the language and deciding. You know what? We're just going to make this the normal way to say very. That makes mm-hmm. me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that it seems like this is. I it may not be the normal way to say very, but I think this uh is does is worked as doesn't it is an intensive in other Romance languages. So it's not really necessarily a new idea, but it is. But it's not how the superlative is formed in Britannic. That's true. Okay. Right. So it's definitely so, not a superlative anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. It it's um it's interesting. I I think it he did he obviously went through doing a lot of research in order to put this together. Yeah. And even though it's not as nicely presented as Venedic was, it's it's clearly the same amount of work on working on the back end to make the language. Yeah. Although uh, the grandmaster mm-hmm. plan is actually surprisingly um, non terrifying. <laughs> yeah. That's you have good, to know a little bit about the the uh, the um, the sort of equation format for um, for reading out sound changes, but other than that, it's pretty That's true. easy to. Yeah, I like this grandmaster plan. It's nice. Mm-hmm. Oh look, I wonder how the Romans said this because he has a word for vodka. Ooh. <laughs> well, maybe we can figure it out. Not surprisingly, vodka, feminine. Vod- no, vodka. Was that maybe probably, a loanword? Probably like, just yeah, some absolutely. He's got a bunch over. of modern vocabulary, which is another example of why I think um, this language got a lot of use beyond what we're seeing mm. just on the website. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, I think we've talked quite a bit about this, and we're talking. We we are starting to go a little long, and we. Uh, uh, a little uh, sausage making here. We're actually going to record two episodes today, folks. So sausage. <laughs> we may want to start wrapping things up. Uh, is there any oh. other little things that you want to say about Brithanic before we move on to feedback? Mm, I thought the site was na- laid out nicely. Like, it, I mean, it's laid out fine. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of a, a 1995 looking site, but eh, you know, vintage is nice. <laughs> when you have when you have vintage, right? When you have a web ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, lozenge on your page, you know that it's not new. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> uh, but, you know, that's fine. The, this is an old language, so it's, or not an old, old language, but it's, it's an, a language from that era, so it's going to have mm-hmm. a slightly outdated site, probably. So, it's fine. Um, that's all I had said, huh? Yeah, I'm gonna say, why don't we move why don't then why don't we just go ahead and move into our feedback here? Okay. All right. All right. So we got some feedback on the Lo- Logeban episode, and this guy actually sent an MP3 file of him reading the email. Mm. So I'm gonna let him read his own email, so to speak. So you guys this ready? From Lee. This is from Lee. Yes, Lee. Hi, Conlingers, Domo. 
I like the show. Uh, I'm a Lojbonist, and I thought your coverage was generally accurate and fair, but uh, I'm surprised you didn't mention Lojbon's take on the subject of your show, getting rid of adjectives. Uh, Lojbon goes the extra mile and gets rid of adjectives, nouns, and verbs. Lojbon does all of the above with uh, predicate words, which are all equal. Bird, fly, blue are all just predicates. Uh, Tashipni, that's a bird. Tavolfi, that thing is flying. Tablanu, that thing is blue or is uh, bluing. So I could say, uh, Le Shipni Shu Volfi, the bird is flying. Or Le Volfi Shu Shipni, the flying thing is a bird. Or even, uh, Le Blanu Shu Shipni, the blue thing is a bird. Uh, likewise, any predicate can modify any other. So I could say, Le Blanu Shipni Shu Volfi, the blue bird is flying. Or, uh, Le Shipni Volfi Shu Blanu, the bird-like flying thing is blue. Uh, of course, Lojman goes to great lengths to specify the grouping of modifiers so it doesn't have the uh, English problem of ambiguity and big car sale and such. Um, there's certainly a lot else I could say about Lojman, but then that would be a whole new podcast, so uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, thanks again for the show. Okay. Hmm. Nice. I think we did. I think we did talk a bit about Lojman basically has this sort of alien theory of word classes, I think, that that, <laughs> okay. that he's talking about. And it just shoves nouns, verbs, and adjectives all into what the predicate words, what are, are those the schmavo or? Uh, yeah. Let's call them the predicate words. <laughs> yeah, let's just call them predicates because we're, we're likely to get it wrong if we try to find the, the Lojban word. But yeah, um, we were a little... I think we were a little confused by the, the, the use of the native terminology a lot, a lot. Okay. And we kind of ended up not talking about what Lojban actually does with word classes, but it is an interesting way of tackling it. Um, it's one of those things in Lojban that sort of set it apart, I think. Mm. I like that I have the sentence, the bird-like flying thing is blue. I like that as an example. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, um, is this is this just how he typed it? Because I see sometimes he puts Wolfly vo- and sometimes it's Wolfy. Is it, it sounds like he said Wolfy the whole time. He might be a typo. Yeah. yeah. He he might have made a typo in the, in the thing, but uh, it's 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 uh, he he was just reading his email to us. But uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Lee, uh, that was good, and actually. You know, anybody can can record something and send it in as an attachment. We also have a voicemail line, but nobody's ever used it. So, uh, I I I I can guess that there are reasons why because it's, um you know it's long distance for some people, it's international for some people. So yeah, just send us an MP3, especially if you would love to give us example sentences in your conlang, so that we do not have to butcher yes. them. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. If you have something that we're likely to mispronounce, definitely send us MP3s or something because having you say it correctly is very valuable to us. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, I, I was pleased. I wonder who told the Lojbanists because don't we didn't we get the president of the logical language group commented mm, on yeah on the thing? So I'm just happy that we didn't completely say anything. I contacted the Lojban community just in case anybody wanted to be a guest on the show. Ah. So apparently uh, they were watching for the show to drop and they, they shared it through their community. So, hmm. um, what was I going to say? Well, apparently we didn't screw anything up horribly, so that is reassuring. Yeah. 
I I definitely um, appreciate hearing from a Lozbanist. You know, it's very nice to hear someone who actually has yeah. studied it. You know, and I know William, you've studied many many languages, but uh, Lozban was a bit of a awkward thing to handle just because of all those native terms that we were talking about. So uh, I very much appreciate Lee's audio submission. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did Bob actually comment? I think Art Art Richard Johansson, which is an, he's another prominent figure there. Commented oh, he, he and corrected us. Perhaps a former. He, he corrected us on a little bit of the history, what which, which oh, uh, in in typical uh, Lojban fashion, but uh, <laughs> of in, insisting on on the on the the minute details to be correct. But for for the most part, everything uh, that I've read, except the one comment that that uh, came today, which was a little uh, difficult to read, but I allowed it anyway. That one seemed a little bit more um, taking us to task, but I think most, for the most part, our re- the reaction from Lojban community has was that we did a pretty good job on uh, on covering it, and you know, obviously we didn't say everything about Lojban, but we, mm-hmm. you know, give it a fair shake. I think mm. having it called fair was enough for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and generally, and generally and, accurate. Yes, uh, generally accurate. That's high praise from uh, a Lozbanist, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think we can wrap up the show. Anyway, uh, I'm going to say, William, do you have any final words of wisdom? No, nope, no wisdom this week. Okay, Mike. <laughs> um, no more words of wisdom. I um, if. I don't know if anyone noticed, but I'm using my new blue snowball. So if uh, you notice the audio quality is better, I did go ahead and buy that. Um, you know, not yeah. pushing for that, but I just heard and I looked up on it and it was, it uh, seems, I hope it comes out well. So, but conlang related, um, nope, I think we did, did uh, the good thing. Yeah, well, that's, that's funny that I recommended that microphone in the last show and you ended up buying one. It is uh, a good mic. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see when this comes out and uh, we'll see. We'll see if it doesn't sound like I'm underwater. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, you definitely don't sound like you're underwater. Okay, Um, that's good. So, so that 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 may be one improvement. I'm going to say then, happy conlanging. You have been listening to Conlangery. You can find the show notes for this episode and all previous episodes at conlangery.com, including links to our featured conlang and a few resources to help you make sense of today's topic. You'll also find links to subscribe to us on iTunes or through other podcatchers, to our Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus pages, and a whole lot more. Questions, comments, and suggestions may be sent to conlangery at gmail.com. You can also submit those translated greetings we play at the top of the show or conscripts to display in our header. Please see the contribute page for details. Thanks for listening. I need to I need to check on something with the audio a second. Can you not talk for a second? Let me see if I can still hear something. Yeah, William, when you talk, there's some sort of popping in behind you. I don't know what's going on there, but I do. I'm fussing around with the thing in my hand. I will put it down.
<laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> well then, that would explain it. <laughs> okay. Excellent. All right. All right. So anyway, where were we? We were talking about, um, you know, using the tone of voice, and then he was mentioning how an English um, <clears throat> scope is, you use other methods to determine what the scope is, and some in some languages there is a separate morpheme or a separate particle to mark what you're negating for the scope. Mm-hmm. Or you've got more flexibility with where your standard negator can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, let's stop again. I'm still hearing popping. Is your mic really close to your mouth or something, William? Not more than normal. I can move it away. How about this? Yeah, that it could blah, blah, uh, blah. talk a little bit. Four okay, score seven years now. ago. <laughs> okay, I'm not hearing it now. No, I don't okay, know so what, maybe, what was going on. All right, maybe it was too close. Anyway, so tell me when to start again. Okay, well, we can start. Okay. Um, 